Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. And uh, just for an intro, I want to say hi to all the high school juniors out there. They should all, you should all be visiting colleges right now. So I'm encouraging you to do so. If for some reason you can't travel, remember every college at this point has virtual visits. So at least be doing that. Um, I personally just came back from a visit to the College of New Jersey and really loved it. I think it's kind of a little undiscovered or not undiscovered, but not as well known gem as it should be. All right, this is gonna be a remarkable show. For any of you who are actually watching this on video, you'll see that I've got three uh, women with me. Um, and I'm just super excited because these are the deans of admission from Babson College, Olin College, and Wellesley College to tell us about the BOW or B-O-W Consortium. So we have Courtney Minden from Babson. Um, and she is not only the dean, she's also their vice president of enrollment management. We have Emily Roper Doton from Olin College of Engineering and Jessica Riker from Wellesley. Welcome, everyone. Jessica, did I say your name right? It's actually Ricker, but it's okay. It's okay. I'll take okay. it. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate it. All right. So all your colleges are very distinct and different. This is, you're all colleges, but you're not sort of a tr traditional liberal arts colleges, liberal arts and sciences colleges. So I'd actually love you one at a time to kind of introduce yourself and describe, or, or I should say, introduce your institution. So let's start with that. And then what we're going to do is we'll be talking about how you function together as a consortium, which I think is really exciting. So Courtney, you're at the top of my screen. So why don't you sure. get it, go ahead and start? All right, so as Sally said, I am the Dean at Babson College. And so Babson is a school for entrepreneurial leadership. So we teach business from entrepreneurial lens. Um, we have a, a student body of about 3000 undergraduates and about a thousand more graduate students at Babson for their MBA or master's in specialized business. Uh, and we, have, we are a full residential college, students who live on campus all four years and um, take a, the curriculum is based on both um, a business quantitative um, based curriculum as well as liberal arts. So half of our classes are actually taught in the liberal arts. Okay. All right. And I think that's an important note that we should go back to why that's important because mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of students who say, why do I have to study history? It's not relevant, you know, so we'll, we should definitely come back to that. All right, Emily, uh, maybe can we, you could introduce yourself, your institution next. Sure. Um, so Olin College of Engineering is a school that focuses on engineering, as our name tells you. Um, and I always have the pleasure of being the youngest and smallest college on any panel. Um, we are small on purpose. We're actually only 350 students total. And that's because of the educational model that we have. So Olin was founded to really kind of shake up the traditional engineering paradigm that, that sort of was built upon math, science, and then you get to do engineering. And Olin flips that to sort of say, we can learn the math and science through the engineering. Um, and so it's a project-based curriculum. Students are working collaboratively. We really want them to be modeling in the classroom what, how they will work later on as engineers. And that means together in terms of interdis in interdisciplinary ways. 
Um, so it's a really unique uh, experience. I often, when I'm talking to students, will say it's kind of the college for the makers and the breakers. Um, we want, you know, we're looking for students who like to build, they like to solve problems, um, but we also really think about engineering as kind of the lever you pull to make a difference in the world. So really thinking not so much about just technical widgets, how do you make the next best um, kind of gadget, but how do you really think about engineering as being what can solve bigger societal issues and whether that's you know, individually, how do we help senior citizens have more independence for longer um, or big issues like climate change? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Um, Jess, how about you? Help, tell us about Wellesley. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Wellesley College is one of the remaining sister colleges, right? So we're a women's college. We were founded in the 1800s at a time when society didn't believe that women could um, could handle, right, a rigorous academic <laughs> environment. And so we've been proving them wrong since the 1800s. And so our 2,400 students are in the liberal arts and sciences, about a third in STEM. Econ is a really popular major for us. Um, but we're an environment that's unique because every um, college government president, the club presidents, the captain of the soccer team, it's all women. And in fact, um, our president and all but one member of the president's uh, senior leadership cabinet identify as women. So what what we are is we're empowering women to go out and to break glass ceilings by having this environment where they get to prepare for it in their undergraduate years. So Mm -hmm. it's a really exciting part of the the bow collaborative and the way we all complement each other in some some different ways. Okay. And so I'm just going to follow up quickly just with what would you say to people who say, well, the real world isn't just women, although I love it that on my screen today that would belie that, right? Like <laughs> there are sometimes all women and that's not a bad thing. But what would you say cuz I hear that when I recommend yeah. women's colleges. They say, you know, both you know, they got to get used to men as if somehow men aren't around them every day anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So Sally, I would send them out and say, you need to go look at a women's college and come back with some reason why you wouldn't consider it as an institution other than that it's mm-hmm. a women's college. And my response to why our education is so important would be something actually one of our students said at an admitted student panel last weekend, which is that women don't come to Wellesley so they can learn how to adapt to the world, right? They actually come to Wellesley to learn how to change the world, right? So they're learning how to be leaders, to speak up in class, right? And to you know use their knowledge in a meaningful way so that when that moment of, oh my gosh, I have to actually tell my boss that there's something that you know isn't correct here or a moment to sort of step up and um, speak out for someone else, they have no fear because they've been practicing for that the entire four years. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. All right, so let's, let's go back to Courtney at Babson. Why are the liberal arts important for business? Well, I think we can all agree uh, we've all worked with somebody for somebody um, or um, has somebody work for us. And it's not really about the all about the quantitative skills. It's it's really learning the, you know, the depth of an education that goes down into how to be a good cultural citizen, how to be bilingual, how to understand the environment and the sustainability behind the you know, the real estate or the science. And, and it's it really, you know, cross-disciplinary has been a, a sort of a top descriptor of, um, of major colleges and universities for decades now. And I think this is a living, breathing example of that. And, you know, I, a few years ago, a student of mine actually said to me, 
Um, we all say that it's really the business at Babson that gets you a job, but it's the liberal arts that gets you the promotion because you're able to thrive in a working environment and really stretch your knowledge through understanding the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I have to tell students a lot is that they should keep going in a world language. I mean, you mentioned mm -hmm. kind of global issues as being important. They're like, well, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be a business major. Why is that important? And I'm like, I can promise you it is. Do you think as a business person, you're not going to be interacting with people from other countries who speak other languages, cross-cultural communication? Uh, you know, this, right. this is important. Right. And colleges and universities are not local. They're global. Mm -hmm. And in order to go out into the world, you're not just going to get a, a job where you stay in the same town uh, and, and speak to the same people all the time. I mean, chances are you're actually, whether you're at Babson, Olin, or Wellesley, you will be spending some time abroad and professionally. And to understand the language, really, to under, I, I keep saying this again and again to our students, you, it's beyond the language. It's the culture. When you're negotiating a deal and, you're, and you really miss a big cultural tell, the deal's off. Uh, mm -hmm. And it could be bad manners <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, that, that call off the deal or not understanding, you know, the ramifications of, of, of an idea in terms of its sustainability or, you know, again, I keep going back to real estate. You don't, you're not a great real estate developer if you don't understand the environmental impact of your, of your buildings. So mm -hmm. understanding that environmental science piece is, is really important as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I think all the businesses that are household names these days are global. You know, right. there's really no such thing anymore as a household name business that isn't global, I think. So, right. yeah. All right. So, Emily, I'm curious about, I mean, you're welcome to comment on some of the things we've already yeah. been talking about, but I found it really interesting that what you said about sort of learning engineering, like before the math and the physics. So kind of tell me a little bit more about how that works. Absolutely. So we... So the Olin curriculum really starts out with a number of interdisciplinary courses where the students are doing projects through which they learn the math and science that holds engineering up, right? So most, most of the time the curriculum has you learn those skills first. So you learn kind of the calculus and physics as independent subjects. And then later, maybe as a junior, you're starting to put them together as engineering. And so we really changed it around partially to have students thinking about or thinking in an engineering mindset, identifying as an engineer, as that type of problem solver um, from the beginning. And so as an example, they'll take a class in their first semester called Introduction to Sensors, Instrumentation and Measurement. Um, and so the class is a bit of physics, a bit of electrical engineering, a little bit of math, maybe there's a little programming in there. So it's all of these different components that they might have elsewhere taken separately, but they're taking them together because ultimately they're gonna have to build a circuit that measures something. And they have to understand how these things work together. So understanding why the math is what it is because of what they're trying to do. Um, and so really trying to instill from the beginning how an engineer should approach the problem at hand. Um, and so part of the, the, the Olin model too is related to not just um, doing the engineering first or doing, you know, only doing the engineering and learning those other things with it um, is actually a parallel really to Babson. And I think part of the reason why Olin decided mm -hmm. to be a partner in this space and be right next to Babson and to Wellesley is that similar to what Courtney was saying, we don't think you can be an engineer in the world without understanding the people you're engineering for, mm -hmm. the systems in which you're doing that engineering, the, the economy in which you're going to try to bring your product, your product to market. And so really thinking about will we will all be better for having that greater depth and context. Um, and so we've had a lot of conversations at Olin um, about some emerging courses 
in context and ethics, or con there's one called context and consequences of engineering, and really thinking about what are the unintended consequences of engineers moving too quickly, sort mm -hmm. of the, um, the hubris of engineering of sometimes we can fix it, um, and actually sort of stopping and saying, but is this the thing that we should fix? Is that, you know, are there unintended consequences of what we're going to do? Asking those questions so that you're getting to engineering the right thing in the right way, as opposed to sort of moving too quickly without that context that can give you those cultural cues um, as to what you really should be doing. Right. And yeah, is this actually going to work if it doesn't work for the humans it's supposed to be helping? Right. <laughs> uh, I one time had a kind of a debate with a friend of mine about how I didn't think a particular, I mean, in his this case, it was software and he was a Microsoft engineer, highly successful, you know. Um, and I said, well, I, I don't think I would use that because it doesn't feel intuitive to me and I'm not a tech person, but supposedly that's who I'm, who it's for. Right. And <laughs> right. he said, well, you would, you would learn. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't because I no. wouldn't have anybody <laughs> to make me learn it. So I wouldn't learn it. You know, it yeah. was such an arrogant response, you know, yeah. user oriented yeah. design is important to having your user at the fore of what you're doing, not as the afterthought I'm like, no, no, I'm going to convince you. Right. This is the thing you need, but actually saying, I'm going to spend the time to ask you the right kinds of questions mm -hmm. to figure out what's intuitive for you in the way you want to use it. Exactly. And this was so notable to me because this is a nice guy. I'm friends with him. He's a good person. He actually did go to a liberal art. He went to Reed College, which is my alma mater. So he should know better of all people, but he still had just, I guess, been in that environment for so long. So I think this is kind of the perfect place then to segue into how the consortium works together. Like what were the origins of it? And um, you know, what are some of the really cool things? We've got a lot of time. So I really wanna hear like all the details, all the cool stories. Um, is there one of you who wants to start with the origin story, who who kind of knows it better than others? I don't, I don't really know that it's, it's probably all me. three of us. I feel like Jess, you if anyone were to know it, you would know the facts of it. I don't know how it how it came about. What do you know, Jess? Volunteered. Emily volunteered, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like really the gen what I'll what I'll lead with and then I'll pass it to Emily is that really the, the genesis started when Olin was found founded, right? So we couldn't be bow without the O, right? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so Olin, Olin's origin story really does is a really interesting one of pulling them together, right? So so Olin exists because of the FW Olin Foundation, named same name as Olin College, but the FW Olin Foundation used to give building grants to colleges. So there's something like 78 buildings on 66 campuses across the country that are founded, that were funded by Olin. So the mm -hmm. Olin Foundation was really trying to help innovate and advance education um, for 50 years. And then in the mid nineties, they had a little bit of a crisis, crisis of conscience of by putting a building on a campus, are we actually advancing education or just putting a building on a campus? And so how do we, how could they think about ways to um, have a greater impact in higher education and in an innovative way? And so they were, they kind of paid attention to a National Science Foundation um, study that came out that was really critical of engineering at the time. And so um, Frank Olin himself was an engineer. And so the foundation was really keen to say, here's an opportunity for us but where should we be? Um, and really sort of thinking about, you know, where do you put a new engineering school that's gonna have a very specific focus and that's going to be small and undergraduate only on purpose. We need partners. We need to be in the right place to capitalize on incredible institutions that 
we can create an environment. And so they were looking at some of the models of other consortium and um, around the country and saying, okay, we've got, there's a good one here in Western Mass. What's good that we can take from there? What's happening in Claremont? What's, you know, what can we take from there and think about that? And so as the foundation was starting to think about kind of their top three locations, it became more and more clear that the partnership with a world-class liberal arts college and the school in the country for entrepreneurial leadership was where we needed to be because of the education that we were going to offer, that our students were going to be taking arts, humanities, social science, and entrepreneurship, sometimes with us, but oftentimes with our partners, um, that how do we create, you know, so, so how does Olin succeed at what we want to do? It's by garnering the right resources and creating the right partnerships. And so um, Olin showed up and we were chartered in 1997. We didn't have a graduating class until 2006, took a little, little bit of time to get the campus built because we were uh, from the ground up. We didn't inhabit buildings that existed, um, but we share a campus boundary with Babson. If you've got a good arm, you can chuck a softball over there. Um, we're that close. Um, Wellesley's less than two miles away. And so um, creating this opportunity for cross-registration, students, the student populations to have an expanded footprint we certainly at 350 could could sometimes use a little bit more of a social outlet among the others. And so put <laughs> us all together. And I think we're a little over 5,000 maybe. So mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of a nice opportunity. I think it's, yeah. I think it's a great opportunity for all of our, our, not only students, faculty and staff as well, all of our communities to really be true to our individual mission. So mission for, you know, the, the women's education, engineering education, entrepreneurial leadership, and really own that but also know that we can complement what we're so proud of, what we've achieved with the other two. And I think their students really go into it, really excited to take their entrepreneurial leadership brand and then go and interact with, um, with, our, other, with our other counterparts um, because it just makes us, all, it makes us all stronger. And I think I'm really seeing, you know, in terms of looking at the tea leaves of higher education and all the headwinds that we're facing, to survive, most most colleges and universities are going to have to think about partnerships and pipelines. There's mm-hmm. nowhere else to go on our physical campuses. The, the population is changing so drastically, particularly the domestic um, the domestic population that it's that's going to be a game changer. The the ability of schools to look across and see the opportunities to make their 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 um, institutions stronger by by sharing the sharing the pie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and really by, you know, as much as we're different, right, it's what we share, right, which Courtney and Emily have both alluded to that we all really believe that the, the impact of the four years is amplified by being, you know, living and learning in a community where you're surrounded by people from different, you know, walks of life who speak different languages, who grew up in different locations, one who's, you know, an entrepreneur, another who's an engineer, another who's an econ major, right? That the diversity in all of its multifaceted shapes and forms helps us think critically about what we know, how we know it, you know, alluding to Courtney's mentioned earlier, hey, if you don't have the cultural context for how to pitch or present something, you may fall flat on, flat on your face, even if you have the best idea. And so that transcends um, in a philosophical way to the way Bao thinks about, um, you know, facilitating faculty research and teaching pro- uh, projects across our campuses, um, really having interdisciplinary approaches within and, and across our three institutions. And so expanding the opportunities, not just for the students, right, who are with us for those four, four or so years, um, but for, for the faculty, for the community, so that, you know, the students are learning from 
these tremendous scholars who are themselves learning and growing all the time from the benefits of being in this uh, this really unique community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I should have thought of this, but I kind of didn't think about how the faculty would benefit as well from having these very different institutions nearby. So that's a great point. The other thing that I think is really interesting, as someone who went to a liberal arts and sciences college that wasn't part of this consortium, and I loved it, but I think I really, like, I didn't realize how creative engineering and business could be. And I didn't take business seriously. And obviously I went into college admissions, like I have no regrets about my professions, But I think I think now, like how great it might have been to go ahead and take a business class or take, uh, you know, be exposed to engineering and see what kind of possibilities there might have been there. Is that, um, you know, is that would you say one of the kind of concrete benefits that your graduates get? Oh, absolutely. My my president likes to say um, that no matter what college or program major you you graduate from the day one after graduation, you're a business person because you got to market yourself. Mm-hmm. Again, job, and you, you know, his his son is a music major, and he said his son had at from Oberlin, and his son had a um, or works at Oberlin. His son had an epiphany and said, "I have to sell myself." Mm-hmm. And so, but he loved music. Music was his vocation. But you know, there there are he he's still every day saying he's learning aspects of engineering, aspects of of liberal arts, just to stay contemporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what about some kind of concrete examples of of ways that, uh, and we'll take a break soon, but we have a few more minutes. So like, what are some concrete examples of kind of projects that your colleges have have done together? There's one course, um, Affordable Design and Entrepreneurship, that's actually a joint class between the colleges. That is, um, it can be used as a capstone for our students, but it can also be used as a single semester course for students from the others. Um, And it's one of the courses, I think, at least for for us, that has the most even distribution of students across the three campuses, maybe a little bit more Olin students in it. Um, But it's essentially um, a class where student teams partner with communities that are suffering from extreme levels of poverty. Mm -hmm. And the teams together have to think about um, how do you alleviate that poverty in some way that is sustainable, that is true to the culture and community that's there. Um, And so these are multi-year projects that students will, it's almost, they use a bus metaphor where the bus is always going toward the solution and different people will get on and off the bus at different times and it keeps advancing the whole time. And so um, some of them are location bound. There are a number of that are international. We've had a longstanding project in Ghana where they're working on um, food processing um, technologies and entrepreneurial um, opportunities for women in that community to make and sell um, the technology to process the cassava root, as well as um, the actual um, having a business where the processed cassava is the thing that they're selling. Um, some of them are less location-based. There was one that was on um, one of the highest uh, causes of infant mortality in the developing world is hypothermia. And so a cross-functional team looking at how do you create an affordable, um, based on a renewable energy source, portable incubator. Um, And so the students are getting this really deep, real world connected opportunity to make impact. And those those projects certainly benefit that benefit from multiple different minds coming together. It's a it's one of my favorite examples of what we do in terms of a course experience for students, um, where the the benefit of having those multiple different minds and perspectives in the room is incredible. Mm-hmm. 
I would think that it would be so much more enjoyable for the students too to be working on this real world pro problem, you know? So I'm sorry I interrupted. No, I was also just gonna say this isn't a course, but my favorite aspect, I'm a little biased um, is it's on our campus is uh, two, three years ago, we opened the, the Foundry, which is um, a three college maker space. So it, it's, it's located um, on the Babson campus on the Olin side, um, but it is actually staffed by, by Olin, Wellesley and Babson. We have student captains who work within the Foundry and it's got everything from a test kitchen to a 3D printer. Um, some of our students um, use it to make pillows one day when they were just bored on a Wednesday night. And <laughs> like, they, why not? <laughs> they found one of my colleagues' office depressing, so they brought him the pillows for his couch. <laughs> but but it's 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 a creative outlet. It's a way to you know again, I think there's no better example of bringing the three minds together in order to you know come out with something really cool that one one wouldn't necessarily be able to produce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the foundry um, during the pandemic, um, they ended up making face shields, right? Mm -hmm. This was not the intended use or purpose of the Weissman foundry. But um, my, my favorite example that a student shared with me, right, and there's no fashion, right, major at any of our three institutions, but um, I think it was in 2019, there was a bow fashion show at the foundry and 36 designers, I think it was, um, were showcasing their creativity, right? There was a full runway and wearables and accessories and, and maybe not the fashion you might think of, right? But a really open, creative, innovative entrepreneur, right? So all the design, all the liberal arts, right? Like all of the different things that we value at our three institutions on showcase, right? For everyone to participate and, and take a part of. Yeah, they actually had it again on Saturday night. Oh, they did? Okay, see, I must've missed that. Wow. I'd like to attend that fashion show, I have to say. It's on YouTube. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll check it out. Um, uh, when I worked at Whittier College for a while and they had a great art department that would actually like do fat, weird fat, like, you know, make the dress with the, uh, with the safety pins and things like that. And I can only imagine that you guys are even your students are even more creative. So, all right, I think we're gonna go ahead and take a break now and then uh, we will be back very shortly. listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Um, and we'll just dive right back into our discussion. So I think we've learned a lot about some of the really cool benefits, including that 
I think the three, your three colleges together are almost like a kind of think tank, like just a place where so much creativity and so many great ideas, just really an incubator of talent and ideas can come together. Um, is there anything that you would add to that or should we transition to the, um, you know, the harder parts of this, like the parts that maybe don't flow quite as perfectly? No, I think, you know, I was, we were saying during the break that about, about 400 students um, in a given year from all three of our schools will do cross-registration. That, that I think that's actually the headline of the BOW consortium mm -hmm. is that you can take classes um, at, at any of our institutions and, and, and they're credit bearing and mm -hmm. they're, they're included in the cost of, of tuition. Um, three schools, three very different schedules, three academic calendars in some cases doesn't always make for the most um, uh, easy uh, um, path. So our students do uh, sometimes have to do finagle and, and, and really try to sort of think things through, uh, but it's something that we, we've recognized and are working on. It's not something that we're necessarily going to go because I think it is very valuable for our students to take classes at the other institutions. It's a great deal. Mm -hmm. Any other issues or concerns that you guys would bring up? You the only other thing I might surface is, and it's not, not so much a, a negative, but something that students maybe want to be aware of is that they may have to do a little bit of sort of mindset switching, right? Between the campuses use kind of different models and ways of teaching, and they're all valid and interesting in their own way. But for a student who spends three out of their four classes per semester at Olin building things and in the shop, and then they're in a seminar on... Faulkner, you know, it's a different, it's a totally different mode to be thinking about. And it's a different pacing sometimes of, you know, reading and writing papers sometimes versus some of the work that they're doing here. They're, they're, they're doing a project. And then most of our deliverables at the end of the semester are not exams and they're not papers. They're often presentations, um, whether that's a poster presentation, an oral presentation, they're demonstrations of the things that a student has learned. And so being able to be academically nimble in a semester to be able to kind of interact with the different modes um, that the schools are teaching in is just something that they may want to think about. And I think it's part of the reason why, at least for the Olin students, and I'm not sure actually on the other two campuses, we actually don't let our students cross-register until sophomore year, really. They, can, and they may be able to do it at the second semester or first year, but really sort of let them get some grounding, have that first year just transitioning to Olin that may be different enough from their high school, um, and then start to explore a little bit on the other campuses. And so um, I think then having a little bit more of that, you know, sophistication, a little bit more academic maturity to say, okay, these are, these are, di these are different styles of learning. I've got to get my brain, you know, uh, situated to them. And so being able to manage that can just be something to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Jess, do you have anything to add or do you think they've covered the challenges? I think they've covered the, the challenges, right? I mean, uh, to, to move more into the, the positives, right? Like if in case someone out there is wondering, well, how do you, if you don't have a car, right? Or a bike, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, how, do, how do you get, you know, and we're, we're, again, we're only a couple of miles away, but um, you know, there's, there's a shuttle bus system that runs periodically. And so I guess that could be the, right. You have to kind of map out when you'd be able to catch it in order to get, you know, to the other campus to take your class. But, you know, if we venture into the benefit beyond the academic realm, right, that then opens up all three campuses to be, um, places where if you just want to get off campus, you've got friends at one of the other institutions, we have 175 clubs and organizations between, 
our three institutions and a lot of events, right, that are open, right? So, you know, for that moment, right, where the student at Olin is like, okay, well, I just, you know, I want to get to know some newer, different people, right? It really expands your opportunity, but in a very easy, simple, you know, simple way, right, to be able to just hop on the bus and, you know, go to see, you know, a concert or an event on one of the other campuses. Mm-hmm. And these are buses that are, I mean, I just, I know there's some safety oriented parents out there. I just want to make the point that these are buses just for the college students of these schools. Mm-hmm. So the, like, they're not hopping on a city bus. I mean, at two o'clock in the morning, this is a school oriented. This is just for the yes. students and faculty. This is the bow bus. Yeah. <laughs> the bow shuttle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So would you say that the social lives are very intertwined between the three campuses? Is it really common to like for Wellesley and Babson students to go to a party at Olin or vice versa, or just, you know, maybe even go, I mean, all of those things kind of happen, even if you don't have a friend that you knew from high school at those institutions? I think the opportunities there, I, I don't, thankfully I don't know what the students are doing socially I think right, that's for everybody um, but but I, the opportunity is there and I think it complements the fact that you know we're also three of 40 different colleges and universities in the greater Boston area so I do think locally yes it gives students the ability to get outside the confines of our campus and head down to Wellesley um, or or go across the, the way to, to Olin but I think there's also that opportunity to to go into Boston and and see students from other schools as well. So they kind of get the best of both worlds in terms of being able to venture out. Yeah, yeah, we're America's college town for a reason. Beantown, Mm -hmm. Boston, quarter of a million college students when college is in session. So, you know, you have the best of a smaller residential experience at each of our institutions, but those, you know, those all of the amazing sort of culture arts opportunities of of an urban area. I mean, one of the questions I get asked a lot you know, people have these preconceived notions of a women's college. How do you have fun? Do, do you know, do the students there go to parties? Yes, they go to parties, right? On our campus, but also other campuses, right? So, um, and again, the bus makes it easy to, to get from place to place and to take advantage of. But, you know, it's really a, a personal choice. We definitely all have students who, you know, are interested and explorers um, and others who want to, you know, hang back a little bit more and just chill out with friends on our, on our own campuses. Mm-hmm. I have joked that there are students who I don't think actually ever leave Olin's campus because they're just (laughs) so invested in all the things that they're doing here. And there are just as many students who make it a point to get into Boston every week or Mm -hmm. who are parts of clubs and organizations on the other campuses, partially just to expand, give it, have a structured way sometimes to expand that social network. We certainly take advantage because we are small. We can't offer everything. We certainly take advantage of things like spiritual life on the other two campuses. We have some clubs and organizations, but being able to actually access Um, religious chaplains on the other campus for our students is huge. And so um, being able to have that kind of automatic expansion, and then you can also level up, you know, Mm -hmm. to to the greater Boston area too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Emily, they can use, they use our gym, uh, the the students uh, can use our athletic center. So, you know, if we're talking about inclusion, it is a really nice way to to show that our, our campuses aren't just closed off and you know you have to register at the guard gate if you even want to come in you can you definitely can just come on to the campus all of our campuses and use the resources mm-hmm. I was wondering too I mean do you ever have a situation where certain classes are just very crowded and so the students from the other campus are just lower priority or is one of the benefits of kind of the relative small size of all your schools that there's always space if someone wants a class I've 
aware of, the, of there being space constraints. Right. I mean, my sense is that if if someone really wants something, right, like initially a student goes to sign up for a class and the capacity, it's at capacity, right, but they reach out to the professor, right, it, you know, we're, we're that kind of community where, you know, they're going to go to the links they can to make sure, okay, we've definitely got a seat that we can, you know, create for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're probably the most restricted. I think being the smallest, you know, we may have some more, not necessarily firm caps, because Jess is absolutely right. The student that asked that question really wants to be in that class. Um, you know, but I do think that we, you know, we have some, um, some courses that because of the project-based style of them, they are, they're a little bit number bound in terms of what they are. We also have um, Babson, er, Babson, Olin and Wellesley have a four plus one program where there are students at Wellesley that if they want to pursue kind of a fifth year where their fourth and fifth year is, mo is mostly at Olin, they're going to get to the end of that five years with two degrees, one from Wellesley and one from, from Olin. So though the students who are in that pipeline or in one of our certificate programs across the campuses, they're going to get priority, certainly for the courses that they would need for that four plus one or for a certificate program. But, um, but yeah, I think there's a, um, we all have the small college environment of being as, a, as um, ready to, to answer a student's need as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I read about the four plus one program and mm -hmm. I thought, how awesome is that? Because while most small liberal arts and sciences colleges have something like that, you know, you have to go to a whole nother school, et cetera. And in this one, you, you, you keep your same community. You just kind of are taking classes at the different institute. I mean, it's, it just seems so seamless. And so wonderful to me that the, every single time I talk to a young woman who is thinking about engineering, but not 100% sure, I'm going to point her towards Wellesley, like without, absolutely without a doubt. Because yeah. imagine what kind of resources an individual institution would have to have, right, to have their own full engineering program that would match the caliber of Olin. Mm -hmm. The other challenge is that, you know, maybe a student looked at Wellesley and Olin, but wasn't quite sure right, that engineering was right for them at that moment that they were 17 and 18 and had no idea what they were going to do with the rest of their lives, right? So it's just a different path, right, to enroll at a liberal arts institution like Wellesley, have a really um, wonderful opportunity to explore, right? We do have engineering faculty, right, in the courses that they take at Olin. And, you know, as they, you know, say, yes, this really is for me, to really have all the steps laid out in front of them for how to do that four plus one program with a dual degree and have the best of both worlds. I mean, this is a real strategic use of resources that we're talking about as it relates to all three of the BOW institutions. Mm -hmm. I also think um, for the you know students who I might recommend to Babson and Olin, I mean, every year I talk, like I, I was talking to a student who likes engineering. I mean, he went into engineering but he also really enjoyed Latin and it was really tough to find the right place for him where he could really spend a lot of time continuing to study Latin. And this again, feels like kind of the perfect opportunity. Um, faculty would welcome that student. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I hope they apply to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually told him that if he wanted to be a Latin major, he would be a little bit sought after almost because <laughs> so um, and I'm guessing, so we've mentioned some of the social and extracurricular functions. Are there particular ones that come up for you, like theater productions? I mean, I, I don't know if this actually falls into it, but I was on your website and I was looking up um, something called Constructing and Performing the Self. That's actually a class. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's kind of like a theater. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about some of the classes like that or? 
Yeah, so that class in particular is taught by a theater professor at Babson and a psychology professor at Olin, which you don't anticipate yeah. that I'm going to say a psychology professor at Olin. So not every faculty member at Olin is actually an engineer. We've got an anthropologist, we have a historian, we've got um, you know, a few folks that are not in the, um, the STEM area, but they, they teach a course where essentially they work with the students to construct um, a monologue, a real deep and personal and compelling story that they workshop over the course of the semester that they then have a production that was just last week where the students then perform them um, as part of this kind of storying ourselves um, kind of review of all of these really beautiful and, and meaningful um, uh, stories. And so the faculty member at Olin, who's um, the psychologist, he his research is all on identity and identity development. And so really kind of marrying how do you, um, through story, uh, you know, uncover, discover, lean into, unpack, you know, sort of different pieces of who you are and understanding how you came to be the, the origin stories of the different pieces of yourself. And so um, they beautifully come come to bear in this theatrical performance, um, which is a great one. It's nice. That was a good one. Yeah, that one just, again, these are all things that make me want to go back to college. <laughs> so, although not be graded ideally, because I finished grad school not that long ago and that final uh, <laughs> exam was not fun. So, um, so I would like to know, like if we could kind of go around and um, talk about sort of who you think really would be a perfect match for your institutions and hopefully also take advantage of this consortium. And then if there are any student where maybe it just wouldn't work for them. So I don't know, um, Jess, would you start? Um, you know, I think Wellesley is a place for, you know, high achieving, curious women who um, are interested in making a difference in the world. Um, our our um, motto, uh, said ministry, non ministry, non ministry. See there, there. I should have taken a Latin class myself. Um, not to minister, but to not to minister. Ugh, now I'm really going to get it wrong. Um, but it's it's really about not how much you know, but what you do with what you know. So there's really an empowerment to to activate and actualize the knowledge here, right? So we want women who are going to go out and make a difference in the world. Um, so you know, I think on occasion. I will hear someone say, you know, well, gee, you know, I want this quieter student to come out of her shell. I think, you know, Wellesley would be a great place. And I actually don't know that we're the ideal place for a student like that because we're a community of, of voices, right? Not everyone raises their hand and is the first to speak up in class, um, but we're, we're a pretty passionate group. Um, so, you know, if that is something that you wanna be empowered by the people around you and the amazing things that they, they do, um, then that might, we might be a good community for that kind of student. Yeah, people assume small means good for shy students. So that's just not always the case. Uh, it can be, but not at every small institution. All right, Emily. Um, so I, I think obviously we only have engineering. So I think, you know, Jess made a good point earlier where it's like, if you're not hundred percent sure about engineering, Olin is a, is a risky bet, right? Because we have one set of, we have all degrees that are engineering. Um, so someone who has an interest in engineering is certainly somebody who's going to be good for us. Strong background in math and science. We do need to see um, things like calculus and physics in, the, in high school. Um, but really at what distinguishes kind of an Olin engineer from, you know, a whole host of other engineering schools is this collaborative piece um, and the kind of and that, that similar, you know, there's, you're, there's so many echoes between the things that we're talking about, but the engineering as um, 
a means to improving society and contributing into to the world in a in a meaningful way. And so I think the the student who's perfectly content to code alone in a room is not a great Olin student. Um, we also, because of the collaborative environment, we also have tons of open-ended inquiry um, in terms of the way that we teach things. So a, a student who wants to know how to get an A, mm -hmm. also not a, not a good student for Olin. Like we are oftentimes the faculty are like, well, this is the, this is the project. It's very open-ended. Where are you going to take it? And the student who wants to know, no, how do I, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of discovery and sort of self-actualization that happens for students around how do I, how do I scope this thing? How do I know what I need to know? And there, it's a very kind of reflect, it's very much grounded in a, in sort of a design thinking, but a very reflective piece of the process is how do I actually start? How do I get to the, to doing these kinds of things? And so we're rarely, you know, we do scaffold a design process for students in the earlier years, but certainly as they advance, it's a lot, there's a lot that's independent. The student is the driver. Um, and so someone who's, maybe really, you know, motivated by external forces like grades or, you know, wants to be able to repeat the path that they've been told is not necessarily going to find a lot of comfort in the academic experience at Olin. And so that's sometimes why I joke about the makers and the breakers, right? They need to be sort of the tactile builders, the folks who are okay with a failure because failure is a learning moment, as opposed to someone who failure is a, um, it, it, it's a, a front sort of to their identity. So um, kind of the the, the P, how, do, how do you find that, that, that place in the middle? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is why I always go first, because I, I, I wind up just repeating everything with <laughs> what, what they said. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, with my challenge representing a business school is that there are some assumptions that go into, there are a, a lot of differing assumptions that go into the, the business degree. One is you're there to be a business person. You're going to be an accountant and you're going to, it's all about the numbers and uh, the five-year plan and how long it's going to take you to make a million dollars or in these days, a billion dollars. How are you going to buy Twitter? Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's not that, but it's also on the other side of the spectrum, we always say the word entrepreneurship uh, a lot. And I know, so I've been saying entrepreneurial leadership, which is a little bit different, but, but I'll, I have a lot of students who say, well, I'm not sure I want to start a business. I'm, what if I want to go work at Goldman Sachs or what if I want to run for Congress one day? Um, and that is actually what entrepreneurial leadership is. It's, it's learning the skills, the creativity, the risk-taking, the collaboration, the, you know, sort of the magical thinking that, that goes into coming up with an idea and, and inciting change within an organization or in, within your organization. And so the, the students who we have, similar to what Jess and Emily are saying, which is good because this means we're a really successful consortium, is that our, you know, our, our students are really you know, tinkerers, wanderers, they, they're very curious. I always joke that, you know, if you go into Chipotle with a bunch of Babson students, by the time we come out, they're going to say, well, the line should have, could have been different. You could <laughs> probably make like seven more burritos an hour if you just Optimize. put the left and not the right. And they're always just sort of looking to see how it could be better and how can the world be better. And, and so I, you know, that's been the biggest joy of working with these students is you just see that not only are they thinking about how to make things better, they're, they're actually doing it and they know how to advocate for themselves, find the resources that they need, whether, and it also might be at Olin and, and, um, and at Wellesley and, and really actually making it happen. And, and whether it be here at Babson or, or behind and I, or beyond. 
And I think, you know, the, the student for whom BAPSA might not be a great fit, yeah, the, the person who wants to be a doctor. You're probably not going to be a doctor with a with a business degree. We you really we don't have organic chemistry, and I don't think you can get your pre med and um, Wellesley and your business degree. And I think that's that's one thing. Our within the consortium, we complement each other, but we also are are very sure to not make promises that you can be an engineer at Babson, or you know you can be you can be an like uh, get your entrepreneurial leadership and everything you need at Wellesley and, and, and be a doctor, you know, all that stuff. We complement and we, we, we bring depth to each other's educational systems. We're not a substitute. Mm -hmm. What's really notable for me is how actually for uh, your institutions wouldn't be good for any student who just wants to be given a set path, right? Like it's, it's very, even though you approach, I mean, I can see, um, I sort of think about how there are certain problems in the world that we like really obviously need multi, disciplinary approaches, climate change. I think, Emily, you mentioned one is like, I mean, there's sociological, you know, implications, there's cultural, there's obviously biological, there's, you know, there's economic, there's, you know, it's, it's the, um, it, it, the, the problem is so complex. And I just feel like a place like Bao is sort of the perfect combination of different people to potentially solve those kinds of things. Do you have, any plans to do something like that? Or are you already working on? I just, I want you guys to start a think tank basically. Like that's what I'm trying to get across. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm sure your faculty are working on stuff like this. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I think what you're alluding to Sally, right? Is that it's, it's the synergy, right? Of our three institutions that makes us so successful, right? So synergy, I once heard described as one plus one equals three right, that what we are together is so much more than the sum of our individual parts, right? And this shared philosophical approach that you just heard the three of us describe as we talked about who would thrive at our institutions. I mean, I think whether we're talking about cancer or climate change, <laughs> I think you got a great chance at making headway and success if you have some Wellesley, Babson, and Olin students all together in the room, right? Because it's what we collectively bring together um, through the mindset and what you learn in the four years at our institutions, maybe five if you're in the four plus one with the, <laughs> with the dual degree program, right, that I think will make the change in the world. And I, I think that's the other thing that we have that is so similar. We all have this, you know, deep abiding, like philosophical belief and mission in what our students are going to do as they leave, right, the greater Wellesley area with the knowledge that they've gained from our institutions. So I just think it makes such a great collaboration. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I've been thinking about that joke of like, you know, a rabbi and a priest walk into a bar. <laughs> I can sort of see like a, a three bow students walk into a bar and like, you know, sort of how they approach the particular joke. So, so we do actually have a few minutes left, not too many, but um, any last things that you would share either about this consortium or about your particular institutions, uh, even if it's just like that sort of very personal element of what you love most about doing your job every day. more casual things about the consortium that I really appreciate is um, there's actually a there, there are about innovation funds. So there's a set of funds that each institution contributes to. And they they can be they can fund projects big and small, right? So it can be, you know, faculty coming together to do research, it can be, you know, supporting, you know, uh, students doing something together. Um, or it can be the Bow Book Club, 
you know, so a way for bringing different students together to have different conversations, bringing faculty and staff from the different institutions together to do things. And so there's something really lovely about not just is it one faculty member reaching out to another campus, but we actually have these innovation funds to say, what can we do together? Um, and I personally really enjoy when we do the bow counselor tour. Uh, so when we actually, you know, use the opportunity to introduce high school counselors and CBO mentors to our three campuses, and it's sort of, you want to come see three incredibly aligned, different, unique, mission-driven institutions, um, it's a great couple of days on campus for those folks to be able to understand a broad range, like a, a broad range of students that they may bring to any one of us. Um, and so that's a great moment for us when we, and it's part of the reason why I always love doing these things, because hearing what the others are doing, it just is a good reminder of why this works so well. But it's a it's a casual sort of selfish thing. But I love when we do those, those <laughs> events together, um, because it does have this, there is this kind of, you know, excitement that builds around like, oh, yeah, to your joke, you know, an, an Olin student, a Babson student, and a Wellesley student tackle a problem, and it's solved. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of feels like it's the kicker there a little bit. Okay. All right. I really apologize, but now I do actually have to go. Thank you all so much. This was such a fun conversation. I mean, absolutely. Uh, one of the most funs I like most amount of fun I've had doing one of these. So, all right. So um, now for the listeners, thank you so much for listening this whole time. I think you'll really enjoy our show next week when our regular host, Beth Heaton, will be talking with guests about the regular decision results for this entering class. And finally, I want to remind everyone that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And of course, you can go to YouTube for our videos. Um, and if you want to search for a particular show topic, remember, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.